Chapter 43 A Choice of Betrayals When thinking back many years later, to certain moments or days, I often discover some to be hazy, distorted, like an object passing by on the other side of a condensation-covered window. Indeed, some alleged memories are more like cloudy dreams than anything. They cause me to second-guess myself, to wonder whether the remembered events truly occurred while I was awake, or if I might have been asleep when they happened. Such were the seven hours I spent at school that Thursday morning. I'm sure Miss Carrington stood in front of our classroom as always. She must have taught us math, grammar, literature, all the usual works. Jimmy Fleischman, my deskmate, would have sat beside me, diligently copying down everything he paid attention to, which, in his case, was nothing. I know such things must have happened, because that's how they always happened in those days. Yet I remember only one thing clearly from school that day. Walter's presence. It was like electricity humming through nearby power lines. I couldn't see him two rows behind me, but I felt him there all day long. He had formed our plans the night before, and by his oversight we had already begun carrying them out. Beneath our beds we had stashed a few pairs of clothes and personal items. These we would stuff into our school bags when we returned home that afternoon. Walter also made sure to set aside his BB gun. Since Mama would have extra mouths to feed, he figured it might be necessary to hunt small game on the aisle. To throw Daddy off any scent of deception, we had also packed the larger suitcases he provided for us thus creating every appearance that we planned to accompany him on our family trip. The plan's final steps would take place when we returned home after school. While I distracted our father, Walter would sneak into the cellar to stockpile various canned and dry goods. Then, late that night, we would whisk Pip from his bed and flee to Mama, giving her no choice but to welcome us into her home where we would be with her forever. During our after-lunch recess, Walter and I met to review our plans within the thick stand of white pines near the edge of the schoolyard. As the other students scurried off to play ball or gossip, Walter and I squatted and conspired in hushed voices among the trees. You remember what to do when we get home? he asked scraping a stick absent-mindedly among the fallen pine needles. Yeah, I'll open the door on Maisie's stall. Once she's out, I'll run back inside to tell Daddy she's escaped again. That's when you hurry down to the cellar to steal our emergency rations. Walter nodded his confirmation. And after that? We keep packing and acting like everything's normal then get Pip and sneak out once Daddy's asleep. And we go to the island. For good. For good, I repeated confidently. You know, Peter, my big brother said, I'm really glad you're coming with me. We'll have the greatest adventure of all time there. 
His words were as unexpected as candy raining from the sky or stumbling over a pot of leprechaun gold, and they sent through me a surge of affection for Walter. In that moment, he ceased being the one who bested me at everything, who bullied me around, who stole Hattie's heart for himself. He was just Walter, my brother, and my friend. I was touched, but I also had to act cool about it, so I said, How will we make sure Pip doesn't blow it when we wake him up? I was thinking about that during math, Walter answered. At least he was thinking about something during math. You know how heavy a sleeper he is, continued Walter. If you take both our bags to the boat, I can carry Pip. Then when he wakes up, we'll already be at Mama's cottage. Does he have any clothes? Already snuck into his room and packed some along with mine, Walter answered proudly. He truly had thought of everything. Our father was already home when we wheeled our bicycles up to the front porch. After yesterday's events, this certainly wasn't unexpected. He viewed us as a flight risk, and rightly so. By beating us back to Asphodel, he was eliminating any chance of escape. Or perhaps he had discovered, after relieving Abigail of her duties, that bringing a four-year-old into the office wasn't so conducive to an effective work environment. A drink was already growing warm in his hand when he greeted us at the front door. It must have been his first, because his eyes were still sharp and quick. He forced a smile and said, How was your last day of school? Walter shrugged. Good, I guess. Genuine remorse colored my father's tone as he said, Thanks for packing your suitcases. Look, I'm sorry things got so out of hand yesterday, especially with you, Walter. It's okay, Walter replied, forcing a grin of his own. We're sorry we skipped school. Swirling his drink, my father said, I do hope you can find some excitement for this trip. Maybe not today, but soon. I think it'll be good for us all. I'll try, said Walter, careful not to overplay his hand. Can we go upstairs and finish packing? My father nodded and stepped aside. As we rushed past, he called out, By the way, Walter. We froze halfway up the stairs. I was looking through your luggage and noticed you didn't pack your BB gun. Anyway, I thought you might want to bring it along. There'll be plenty of critters out west. Maybe you'll be able to bag one or two. We can stuff them and bring them home. I'll look for it, Walter replied. Thanks. When we were safe in our bedroom, we whispered through our plan one last time. What if Daddy catches me going outside? I asked. Without a moment's hesitation, Walter answered, Tell him you want to pack your fishing pole. The mountain lakes are full of trouts. But what if he sees me in the stables? That's not where I keep my pole. Damn it, Peter, are you in or not? Walter shot back irritably. You might have to think on your feet for once. But if you're really worried about it, you could go down to the shed where our fishing stuff is, then cut up to the stable through the woods where Daddy can't see you. 
Okay, okay, I'm in, I replied. Good, then stop wasting time and let's get to it. I steeled my resolve and crept down the stairs. My father's study door was open, and I would have to pass by it if I wanted to exit out the front. So instead, at the bottom of the staircase, I took a sharp right and sped through the dining room. Once I had reached the back porch undetected, I was emboldened to sprint directly for the stable. From here, everything else was easy as pie. I unlatched Maisie's stall door and opened it wide. She always had been a rebel, and I knew she would wander off without a pitying thought for whoever would have to corral her. Maisie performed exactly as predicted. A minute later, she was enjoying the fresh spring grass in our yard, and I was running back to Asphodel Hall as fast as my scrawny legs would carry me. Daddy, Daddy! I cried out, bursting through the door. What is it? He called back from the study. Everything all right? Maisie's out in the yard. She must have broken out again. Shysa, my father muttered, appearing in the doorway. Where is she? I led him outside. Even as we left, I heard Walter hurrying down the stairs to execute his role in our plan. Outside, I pointed up the hill toward the Lincoln's cottage, which, I reminded myself, wouldn't be theirs much longer, and said, She's up there. Locating the rebellious goat, my father said, All right, come on. She's mischievous, but she's smart, too. She knows she's not supposed to be out of her stall, and she'll try to run. I'll need your help to corner her. At recess, Walter's speaking to me like a true friend had filled me with warmth. Now, Daddy's speaking to me like a real man filled me with pride. And with the pride, misgiving. For the first time since formulating our escape plan, the teeth of conflict tore into my heart. A golden opportunity had been laid in my lap the opportunity to finally escape life from beneath Walter's shadow to achieve my rightful place as the best-loved, most highly honored Luther son. All I had to do was confess the whole sordid scheme. Surely even Walter would never recover from such a blow as this. Besides, could I really betray my own father, taking off without so much as a goodbye? What kind of son would that make me? Yet even then Walter's words echoed in my heart. I'm glad you're coming with me. We'll have the greatest adventure of all time. For perhaps the first time ever, he saw me not as a peeve but as a peer, a comrade, a friend. How could I betray him by blowing the lid off our plans, or even by choosing now to remain behind with our father? I was caught between Scylla and Charybdis, with no good path forward. What Daddy said next did nothing to ameliorate my inner wrestling match. I know things have been tense around here, he admitted with a tired sigh. And I know I've been downright unpleasant at times, but you have no idea how much I'm looking forward to this trip. It's almost like... Like I can't breathe here anymore, at Asphodel.
not since Mama died. But out there, in California, in Colorado and Utah and Wyoming, I think I might find what I need so I can finally move on. So I can clear my head and start fresh. Figure out who I am without Mama. Without my Rosa. With this admission, a great burden came rolling visibly off his shoulders. A look of hope overcame him, such as I hadn't seen since before Mama fell ill. He seemed to walk lighter, like someone who has finally confessed his guilt in a decades-old crime. But now the burden was mine, as the voice of guilt spoke into my struggle. My whole life, Daddy had given me all I could have wanted, never begrudging me a single thing. What kind of miserable son would I be if here, in his direst hour, I denied him what he so badly needed? If this wasn't disgrace enough for my soul, the Lord still had one more reproach left to give. It began moments after Daddy caught hold of Maisie's collar, when the rumble of an approaching automobile drew my attention north beyond the hill. From some unseen length of our cart path, a faint haze of dust was rising. Daddy's gait sped to a jog. Reluctantly, the goat at his side kept pace. Who is it? I asked, worried of the answer I might hear. What if Pastor Wainwright or Abigail had called some higher authority to remove us from his unstable care? I can't be certain yet, he answered, but I think it's a gift that arrived just in the nick of time. The car, a black, open-backed Cadillac, had already crested the hill and was slowly descending our potholed, riddled drive when Daddy rushed Maisie into her stall. He slid the bolt shut and yanked on the swinging door for good measure. Satisfied that the goat couldn't jimmy her way out again, Daddy grabbed my hand and tugged me along. A man, tall and well-built like Daddy, stood outside the driver's door. He wore a trim, black pinstripe suit, and the ends of his gray mustache had been waxed and curled into sharp points. Are you John Luther? he inquired with a thick European accent. I am, Daddy replied. And that must make you Herr Hauser. Zickerlick, certainly, the man said, and he offered Daddy a friendly grin. I am quite sorry for the delay in my delivery. Although the war is ended, it is not so easy to come by the German pieces my work requires. I'm sorry, Herr Hauser, but could you give me a moment, said Daddy and he looked down at me. Run along inside, Peter. I need to speak with this gentleman, and I don't want to ruin my surprise. I did as I was told, wondering as I went what sort of surprise could come from such a fancy deliveryman. And on the day before Daddy's scheduled departure. Inside the great room, I paced from one wall to the other, impatient to learn more. I heard Walter shuffling about upstairs, and knew he also was anxious to show off his hall. I didn't have to wait long. Outside, the Cadillac's engine roared to life, and Daddy burst gaily through the front door. 
cradled in his arms like a newborn child, was a black instrument case, with polished silver trim and matching clasps. It was a violin. My heart surged with joy. My heart sank with guilt. I was so thrilled you wanted to learn the violin, I decided to buy one for you, Daddy explained, holding it out for me. It's German-made, like mine, and like my old one. Now we can play together on our vacation. Thanks, I muttered. With overwhelming shame, I received the violin into my arms. I was Absalom, turncoat and traitor to my own father. Even as I plotted against him, he presented me with a handsome gift of his affection. You're welcome, he said. I'm looking forward to the music we'll make together. Now run it upstairs and put it with your other things. When Walter saw the gift, he scoffed and said, He's trying to buy your respect, you know. This is exactly what he did with the bicycles. Anyway, you won't be able to bring it to the aisle. You'll have your hands full with our bags, and it's too risky to make two trips. Sorry. But I couldn't dismiss the gesture as easily as Walter. My internal battle raged on, so powerful that I hardly tasted our meager dinner of ham sandwiches and applesauce. Daddy, also enjoying a side of bourbon with his supper, cheerfully promised that the fare would be much improved here on out. He had spared no expense for our train tickets and upcoming accommodations. We would eat the finest foods and sleep in the softest beds money could buy in the American West. He had pulled out all the stops, putting forth his absolute best attempt to raise us up from the doldrums of our grief. By the time we returned, he was confident we would all have a new lease on life. We would be ready to move forward without Mama or any delusional visits with the dead. There, at the dinner table, he made one other declaration. Holding up his glass of bourbon, he announced, This here is my last drink, no more. Following the strange toast to himself, he downed the glass, and a gentle peace settled upon him. With it, another realization settled upon me. All Daddy wanted in the world was to create a joy-filled life for himself and his boys. Nothing more, nothing less. When dinner was finished, he sent us upstairs to double-check our suitcases. I'll be up in a little while for a final look-over, he slurred as we went. It may have been his final glass of bourbon, but it wasn't going to pass through him without scratching its initials into his liver first. Twenty minutes later, Walter and I joined Daddy in his inspection of Pip's traveling trunk. This part of the process took some time, as Pip had decided it was more important to pack toys than clothes. One by one, Daddy removed each bauble and asked him why he thought he would need it out west. Each time, Pip offered a heartfelt explanation as to its importance. Daddy would then set it aside and replace it with clothing. Just when it seemed inevitable that Pip would burst into tears over his abandoned treasures, Daddy offered a compromise. Now that you have enough clothes, 
You can stuff all that empty space with whatever you want, as much as will fit. Pip joyfully accepted the terms, as he began the selection of his best and most beloved valuables. Daddy took me and Walter across the hall to inspect our packing. My heart beat in my throat and pulsed in my ears. I was sure he could smell our betrayal or that he would discover something amiss, a clue which would tip him off and unravel our insidious plot. Truthfully, I almost hoped for it. Like a global superpower entering a war, Daddy's intervention would have put an end to the bitter conflict inside me. I could rest easy without betraying either father or brother. But that would have been far too merciful. Everything looks good, Daddy announced. Glad you found your BB gun, Walter. He winked, then left. Once Daddy was gone, Walter breathed a heavy sigh of relief and said, Good. He doesn't suspect anything. We're in the clear. But I didn't feel so in the clear. I felt quite in the thick of it. We should go to sleep early, Walter continued. We want to be rested for tonight. I'll set an alarm and muffle it with a blanket. That way we'll hear it, but Daddy won't. For the millionth time in my life, I envied how effortlessly Walter could fall asleep. It didn't matter that we were on the eve of such a life-altering event as running away from home. Within two minutes, he slipped into the rhythmic breathing of sleep while I was left wide awake with my embattled thoughts. Darkness, full and deep, settled over eastern Pennsylvania. Yet there would be no slumber for me. In the scarce light of our bedroom, I rolled onto my side. When I did, my gaze fell upon the decoy luggage trunk I had packed, and the sleek new violin case on top of it. My eyes lingered here, upon this gift of my father's love. In my mind's eye, I saw the pride beaming from his face as he handed it over to me in the great room. That was the moment I knew what I would do. The battle was over. A victor had emerged. Silently, I pushed aside my covers and rose from my bed.